Vertigo, 1958, directed by Alfred Hitchcock. It's hard to know where to begin with Vertigo, so I'm going to start wherever I like. With this much material to work with, who knows where this will end? Richard Wagner's opera, Tristan Isolde, is the musical inspiration for Vertigo's score. On face value, it's an obvious choice, since Vertigo and Tristan are about doomed love. It's deeper than that, though, since both stories are about the destructive power of love. Tristan was a knight who fell in love with the queen, the wife of the king, and their affair tore the kingdom apart. The couple were miserable when they are apart, and together they're constantly in danger. Scotty, in Vertigo, played by Jimmy Stewart, falls in love with the woman he's investigating, Madeline, played by Kim Novak. In addition to being a married woman, her death sends Scotty into an obsessive death spiral. The destructive power of love is something rarely seen these days, yet it plays an important part in the best love stories ever made. A lot's been made of the failure of Vertigo. It's technically a financial flop. Uh, Alfred Hitchcock placed much of the blame at Jimmy Stewart's feet. He was nearly twice as old as Kim Novak, and Hitchcock believed that audiences didn't believe the romance between the two. There's some validity to that, and there are other reasons, perhaps, why it wasn't successful. Film failures are pretty much inscrutable, unless you're Heaven's Gate. But now that Vertigo has moved beyond the box office and taken its place in film history, there's a lot to be said for Jimmy Stewart. For one, he's perfectly likable. Jimmy Stewart is easygoing, good-natured, relaxed, and straightforward. You probably know this already, but here's where it gets a little weird. Not weird, but I gotta explain. It's essential for a thriller like Vertigo to have that kind of simple character. We need to use our time listening to the dialogue and collecting pop plot points, not figuring out who the characters are. It's a main part of what give Hitchcock films their appeal. The cliche when describing Hitchcock is regular people in over their heads. Jimmy Stewart is nothing if not regular. There's a reason why we liked him so much in It's a Wonderful Life and in Mr. Smith Goes to Washington. He's not really holding back anything from us. At the same time, though, Jimmy Stewart has an intensity which people often overlook. Think of again about a film like It's a Wonderful Life. The best scenes are the ones where Stewart is shouting or frantically trying to explain something or telling someone off. Stewart's got this well of intensity inside him that he just dips into whenever he needs it. And in the final half of Vertigo, he dips in up to his neck. Everyone remembers the stuttering George Bailey Jimmy Stewart, but even in his work with Frank Capra, Stewart delivered on intensity. Mr. Smith, from Mr. Smith Goes to Washington, wouldn't have nearly been as memorable if that country yokel hadn't ranted and raved like he did on the Senate floor. Intensity. You need it. In Vertigo, Stewart's character Scotty takes a dark turn, and boy does Stewart deliver on the intensity. The man physically drags Kim Novak up the stairs of the bell tower and forces her to dress up exactly like his dead girlfriend. You can't do that with a smile on your face and a stutter. Say what you will about his graying hair, Jimmy Stewart was perfect for this role because he could give the one-two punch. BAM! Likeability. BAM! Craziness. It all came together at the right moments in a plot which was likely to drive anybody mad. 
Incidentally, Vertigo has a really tight plot, but you don't notice it at first because the film is so gradually paced. It's worth mentioning that instead of three acts, Vertigo has a five-act structure, like a Shakespeare play. The first act ends after Scotty sees Madeline for the first time in Ernie's, the restaurant. The second act ends when Scotty and Madeline kiss. The third ends when Scotty's hospitalized. The fourth ends after Judy turns back into Madeline. A little more explanation on that later. And the fifth, well, that's the end. Each act is its own discrete element of story. There are really no overlapping plot threads because the plot's so focused. There's a minimum of characters, so there's very little confusion as to what's going on. There's something to be said for the clarity of Hitchcock's work. People often talk about Hitchcock's camera work or his angles or his sense of humor, but I think that what's most important about Hitchcock is his clarity. There's a lot going on in his plots of terms of secret plans and conspiracies, but we get fed everything in its right time. He knows how to organize his information and when to give it to its audience. I spoke about this in my Texas Chainsaw Massacre review. You never thought I'd reference that, did you? The way to build tension is to let the audience know things that the characters don't. Psycho didn't let us know everything, but it let us know enough. That's why Martin Balsam's stabbing was so brutal. In The Man Who Knew Too Much, we learn the assassination plot way before Jimmy Stewart's character does, and the tension is about whether he's going to discover it in time. The entire premise of Rope, you know, another Hitchcock film, is that we know that there's a body in the chest they're eating on, and none of the guests know it. I could go on, but the point is this. In Vertigo, we get our big reveal in Act 4, that Madeline didn't die, and that Scotty has accidentally tracked her down. Is he going to find out who she is? How long until he finds out the truth? That plot point actually was actually a choice by Hitchcock. In the book that he adapted into Vertigo, the reader doesn't find out that Judy's character and Madeline's character are the same until the end. Hitchcock moved it into the fourth act, which says a lot about Hitchcock's understanding of audiences. What happens in the movie is that Scotty confronts a woman who reminds him of his dead lover and asks her out to dinner. When he leaves, Judy, again played by Kim Novak, prefers to leave, explaining via flashback and internal monologue that she was just part of a plot to fool Scotty and help Gavin Elster, the man who hired Scotty, to kill his wife and collect her fortune. The scene backfills a lot of the plot, but without it, the film just wouldn't be the same. For one thing, saving this revelation to the end would throw off the pacing of the film. If Scotty confronted Judy and forced to reveal all this information towards the end of the film, it would have taken forever to get it all out, and it would have interrupted what should have been a swift and decisive conclusion. Second, it keeps Scotty sympathetic. Jimmy Stewart gets pretty intense in the last half of the film, as I said, and he keeps buying Judy new clothes and dyeing her hair so that she'll look like Madeline, who is dead in his mind, and it gets pretty close to abusive. And if we didn't know that Judy had tricked Scotty, playing this very cruel joke on him, then we wouldn't tolerate his behavior as much as we do. Third, if we thought that Judy was just some girl that Scotty was coercing into wearing these clothes and dyeing her hair, we wouldn't understand why she was staying around. She stays around, we know from basically everything she says, she stays around because she feels guilty about what she did and because she is actually in love with Scotty. If we didn't know that, Judy would just be confusing. 
we wouldn't really identify with her as much as we do. Fourthly, even if a last-minute plot twist checked out, I mean, made sense in our brains, at this point, and at, this is at the point where they should be excited about the ending, if you have to think about what you saw to decide if it makes sense, then the movie's lost you. You walk out of the theater feeling confused instead of devastated. Even though it's a thriller, the audience needs to be able to follow along. You see a lot of mirrors in Vertigo. They're a sign of duplicity, which this film has in spades. The movie reflects itself, though, though more often than not, in terms of structuring characters. The scene of Madeline's fall from the tower in the middle of the film is more or less a replay of the prologue, where Scotty lets a policeman die. Then he lets Madeline die, thus compounding his guilt. The event has repeated itself, basically. Madeline claims to be haunted by the ghost of a dead woman named Carlotta Valdis. Scotty, later, is then haunted by the figurative ghost of Madeline after her death. Scotty wants to make Judy into an exact replica of Madeline. Madeline remakes herself to look like the portrait hanging in the museum. Gavin has remade Judy to look like Madeline. We see Madeline in profile at the end of Act 1, and in the middle of Act 4 we see Judy's profile in silhouette facing the other direction. Even Gavin Elster, the murderous husband, has his own double, the man who bedded and abandoned Carlotta Valdez a hundred years ago. Gavin talks nostalgically about old San Francisco and the freedom that people had back then. When the bookstore owner, Pop Liebel, tells Carlotta's story, he tells how her lover threw her away. Men had the power back then, and the freedom. Gavin throws Judy away the same way. Madeline and Judy both have shots of themselves opening windows in hotel rooms. Scotty recreates Madeline's death scene to finally rid himself of his acrophobia and the past once and for all. Judy's tragic death mirrors the real Madeline's death, and the film ends right where it needs to. Just to stick on the ending for a little longer, I love the abruptness of the ending of Vertigo. It's like the end of City Lights. We don't need an epilogue and we don't have to tie up all the loose ends. Everything that's important is now over. There is a flaw with Vertigo that I can't let go, because it is such a highly praised film. I do have to kind of bring it up, because why not? And considering that the film is so tightly written, it's actually kind of appropriate. In Act 2, Scott tracks Madeline to a hotel, but when he investigates her room, he finds out that she's not there, and that her car is gone. Even the desk clerk hasn't seen her, even though we've actually seen her go up into the room and open up that window. It's never explained later in the film why this happens, and it actually seems impossible considering how the hotel is built. And we forget about it by Act 3, but the film this well-written makes me wonder why they bothered to put it in at all. Lastly, I want to talk about eroticism. Much is made of Scotty's so-called necrophilia. Even Hitchcock himself described his work in Vertigo as a kind of necrophilia. I think that's not giving the film enough credit because throughout Vertigo we're confronted with all sorts of erotic potential. If Psycho is a slasher film underneath all of Hitchcock's artistry, then Vertigo is an erotic thriller just waiting to jump out at you. Kim Novak as Madeline is sexy, of course, but she's got this added layer of appeal because she's so vulnerable. Scotty keeps an eye on her, but if you take away the investigative nature of what he's doing, he's really engaging in a voyeuristic relationship with her. Then he has an affair with her. There's no sex on screen, but it, he is essentially involved with a married lady. Finally, he dominates her life by making her wear clothes that he wants to and changing her style, utterly making her over so she can be his fantasy. There's plenty of erotic material to mine here, but because of the times, it's kept mostly under wraps. Because of that, I find the notion of necrophilia in, in Vertigo to be really superficial. 
in the second half of the movie, Scotty isn't in love with Madeline because she's dead. Death is standing in the way of his love for her. He's just fetishized everything about Madeline to the point where he can't love someone unless they look just like her. Making Judy dress up like Madeline isn't so much of a way of making love to the dead as it is a way of bringing Madeline back to life. The moment Judy walks through the bathroom door with Madeline's hairstyle wearing the gray suit, Scotty immediately becomes passionate and he's back to his old self. Now, you could say that the whole reason Scotty liked Madeline was because she was possessed by a dead woman, but there are plenty of other reasons to fall in love with her. Hint, Kim Novak is hot. So necrophilia isn't a compelling theme for me. Since I'd started where I wanted, now I'm just going to stop. 